Shabbat Shalom. Here I come. Amazing. What a blessing. What a blessing. All right. Wow. Wow. What a journey we are on. What a journey we are on. I am just uh, just overwhelmed and truly, truly blessed. Going to be back in the scrolls of Ezekiel this week. But we are not in scroll two. Remember we started in scroll two just a few weeks ago? We're going to go back to scroll one and we're going to be in part seven. So I actually entitled this week's teaching, Sometimes You Have to Go Back So That You Can Go Forward. I think it's prophetic in light of current events. So sometimes we've got to go back in order to truly go forward and arrest, arrest the blessings of Yahuwah. So we're going to be in scroll one, part seven today. Now remember, scroll one of Ezekiel began in what's called chapter 8, verse 1, and extends all the way through to chapter 19, verse 14. And it's talking about the prophet visiting the exiles of Israel by the river Chebar, and it talks about the prophet speaking about the present state of Israel, the temple abominations, how the wicked were slain, and then the glory of Yahweh would, would depart east, And the opportunity is that Israel could repent and be regathered. That Judah and Jerusalem are guilty of grievous sin. Grievous sin. And the first scroll was dated in the sixth month, the fifth day, and the sixth year. But what an appropriate title today. We've got to go back. To go forward. Scroll one, part seven. Because in all reality, we sometimes have to go back in our lives to areas that have been neglected or overlooked to really address our current circumstances, don't we? So many, so many go through life carrying previous hurts. In this walk, we find that many actually come into the ministry carrying church hurt, being hurt by the church or hurt by religion. And then you can tend to layer that on to your present circumstances. And you can make these big fires out of small embers that really could have been easily extinguished in your life, yet you carry the burden forward from a prior hurt that was never truly, truly addressed. And we're all in a growing, growing life of faith together. But sometimes we have to go back in order that we can go forward. So we can truly extinguish those fires 
that should have been extinguished when they were just a small ember. Address the hurts so that we can then move forward into the blessing, a blessing. Because sometimes those past hurts can affect our future, our future expectations of people, places, and things. And then, if that isn't addressed, it can magnify into areas of our life. Now, for me personally, and for the ministry of Torah to the tribes, now is a time for us also to go back. It truly is a time for us to go back. To go back to our calling, which is to teach the Torah to the tribes in exile and gather in the exiles whilst raising up and equipping the next generation together to gather at the great pilgrimage feasts, which is what we want. We should be immersing people in Messiah and equipping people for good works ahead. And that was what is so exciting about the feasts. And last week at Shavuot, I was blessed to be able to go down into the waters and immerse many people. And even a lady that wasn't a part of the congregation, an onlooker, a bystander, came down into the waters, confessed, repented, and went into the waters of immersion. That is what it's all about. That's encouraging to me. And I can't thank you enough those of you that have contacted me this week and encouraged me when I really needed the encouragement. Because quite honestly, it's been a, it's been a desert. And those, those emails and telephone calls, they were a drink of water in a parched and weary desert. And I didn't expect it. I really didn't. So that's been a huge blessing. So I'm so thankful to those of you that have reached out to us, to me, my family, to this ministry in the past few weeks, the past few days specifically, and said, yes, we choose to stand with you and go forward with this ministry because we believe in the message. We believe that it is affecting thousands and thousands of people, and we want to be a part of this work for the blessing for the blessing. And at Shavuot last week, I got to meet some of you, which was, which was truly a blessing for me to meet new people and lead those people down into the waters of immersion. It changes lives. Don't we want to change lives? I know that I want to change lives. And when we can see that impact on people, that gives me hope and courage. So this is a Super, super time in the scroll of Ezekiel. Let's turn, excuse me, to chapter 18, verse 10 of Ezekiel. We are now in the first scroll, but we are in the seventh part of this and the final part. This is Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 10. And we're going to talk today about our overcoming our past patterns and behaviors. Not only ours, but we need to overcome what we learned from our fathers and some of us, even the church fathers. It's about overcoming those past patterns and behaviors. And what better text than the scrolls of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 10. It is written, 
And if he begets a son that is a robber, a shedder of dam, blood, or one that does any of these same kind of things, but he himself did not do any of these things, but has eaten upon the mountain or defiled his, ha- his neighbor's wife. This is how the text begins. This is talking about, for instance, like wicked Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. The violent son here is opposite than the righteous father. Think about it. You've got the violent son totally opposite than his righteous father. What the the father avoided, the son seeks out. And what the father sought out, the son avoids. And its present behavior seals his very destiny. Yahushua spoke to us about this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8. And it's written, All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endureth until the end, the same shall be saved. So we see here again what the father sought out, the son avoids. And what the son avoided, the father seeks out. It's about seeking out righteousness. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 12. He goes on to say, He has oppressed the poor and needy, has plundered by violence, has not restored the pledge, and has lifted up his eyes to idols, has committed abomination, has lent on interest, and has taken increase. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood, his blood shall be upon him. This talking about King Amon, Manasseh's son, who was all of the above. He had no redeeming attributes whatsoever. He was given two years, then bam, what happened to him? He was killed in a palace coup. He won't really live in this life, and he certainly won't go on to the next. There's no reason that his life would be prolonged to see these successive generations. Judgment comes. Look at verse 14. Now see, if he begets a son that sees all of his father's sins that he has done and considers it and does not do anything like it, who has not eaten upon the mountains, neither has lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, and has not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has he oppressed anyone, has not withheld the pledge, neither has he plundered by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and has covered the naked with a garment, that has removed his hand from harming the poor, and has not received interest nor increased, has executed my judgments, has had his walk in my ways, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. 
The case in point to this, of course, is Josiah, who saw the deeds of his father, Amon, and what did he do? What did Josiah do? He saw the deeds of his father, Amon, and he repented, and he became what? He became fully righteous. He saw what his wicked father was doing, so Josiah, he stepped in to righteousness, and he changed the generation. Josiah, he didn't die for the sins of his father, did he? But he rather lived a good life, and he was prepared to go into righteousness. Look at verse 18. As for his father, because he oppressed, plundered his brother by violence, and did that which is not good to his people, see, even he shall die in his iniquity. Yet you say, why? Why? Why does not the son bear the iniquity of the father? When the son has done that which is according to the Torah and right, and he has kept all of my mishpatim, judgments, and has done them, he shall surely live. The being that sins, he shall die. The being that sins, he shall die. So when people continue to follow in the wicked ways of their fathers, as was the case with the recipients of this scroll, they deserve that their teeth should be set on edge and blunted. Ezekiel is telling us, don't follow after your fathers, the wicked generational iniquity. Remember, Yahweh says that it comes down to the third and fourth generation. Some of those patterns that generationally seek you out, don't follow after them. Be the Josiah in your generation. Just because your father was an alcoholic doesn't mean that you have to. Just because your father viewed lewd material and you saw it around the house when you were growing up doesn't mean that you have to follow into that iniquitous behavior. That you can be the Josiah in your generation. That's what this is all about. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be set upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all of his sins that he has committed and guard all of my statutes and do judgments of righteousness, what will happen? He shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be remembered against him. In his righteousness that he has done it, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith Yahweh? Says the master Yahweh, and not that he should return from his own way and live. Yahweh wants the wicked to repent. But if there aren't a people out there saying what sin is, then how can the wicked repent? The definition of sin is lawlessness, A. Without nomia, Torah. To be without Torah is the definition of sin. But to truly walk in Torah, we have to walk it from the inside out. Not just the outward manifestation of righteousness, but the inner conduct that befits a righteous generation. Look at verse 24. But when the Zadik, the righteous, turns away from his righteousness... 
and commits iniquity and does according to all the abomination that the wicked man does, shall he live? All his righteousness, listen to this, all his righteousness that he has done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he has trespassed and in his sin that he has sinned. In them shall he die. It is amazing to see that Yahweh's way of justice and judgment truly is how a man ends his life. And remember, Yahushua spoke about the parables of the laborers. Those that would come in at the last hour would get the same as those that came in at the first. And my wife's prayer for me is to finish well. And my prayer for you is to finish well. And I'm overcoming my generations. My father liberated the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. He came back to England and he was a Bible teacher. And he taught the Bible and he had a wife and three children and he was a Bible teacher. That was my father. But then my father, he changed. My earthly father, he abandoned his wife, abandoned his children, ran off with a woman 30 years younger than him, denied the faith, became a mason to the highest degrees in the occult. And then he died. So I'm in the fight. You're in the fight. I'm in it to win it. I'm overcoming my generations. And I'm the first one in my family to turn back to the ways of the Father. Like Josiah. It's a testimony for us all. But it's not just my present circumstances. Or the work that I've done in the past 20 odd years in the ministry for the Father. It's how I continue and how you continue. Because ultimately it's how we finish. Because literally, my generation before me started well, but ended awfully. But now, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to truly, truly change our generations. To be Josiahs in a sick and twisted world. And that's what I hope for all of us. And that is what Ezekiel is speaking to those exiles in Babylonia, by the river Chebar. Yes, your fathers were involved in the worship of Tammuz, but you have the opportunity to repent and change everything instantaneously and to be a Josiah. That's what this message is about. What did Yahushua say to us? Yahushua saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's my goal. I will finish the good work, the Father says, that I have started within you. And I know he's going to finish the good work in me and you if we stay the course. We have to stay the course. No matter what comes at us, we stay the course. And that's the difference between the separating of the wheat and the chaff. That's the difference. We stay strong 
in spite of what comes against us. Because I will not finish the way my earthly father finished. I refuse that. I will be faithful unto the end. Because I'm the first one in a generation that has repented and turned. And now I have a multitude of generations in front of me. And that is amazing. What a hope. What a blessing that we see right here. Yahushua said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Insomuch that we desired Titus that he had begun so he would also finish in the same grace also to finish well. Because we all want to hear what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Which brings me to a biblical maxim. Pure repentance uproots the sins of your past as if they'd never been committed. Pure repentance uproots the sins of your past as if they had never been committed. Conversely, total rejection of past good works and faith utterly uproots them and lays your roots bare to the acts of judgment. I got to witness that with my earthly father. All his previous good works were utterly uprooted. And at the end of his life as a little boy, I got to see the acts of judgment. So when I teach before you, I'm teaching from my life experiences and layering it through the scripture because our faith is alive and ever present with us to encourage you, to give you the hope that I'm just not up here and it's all easy dreamy. No, we're in a fight, a battle of the faith, but we must endure to finish well. We must endure to finish well. I want to sidetrack a little bit now. It does appear that the text will allow me to do that because there have been some people that have contacted me with some very concerning stories, very concerning accounts of teachings that have been going around about how Yahushua can't really die for you because he was just a man. And the Bible says that, you know, no man can redeem his brother. And then people get misguided and they end up denying that Yahushua is the Messiah. And then they walk right into Judaism, which is an apostate religion. So I want to address that because our text really, I think, will bring us back into the fullness of understanding. So my question to you is this. Can Yahushua die for mankind and take away their sins? Well, Judaism would say, well, no. And that's where many, in their pursuit of Torah and intellectualism, it can lead them to be deceived and go into everything Jewish. Can Yahushua die for mankind and take away their sins? Because the scriptures say, no man can die for another man. So some of these that are following into Judaism will entice a brother and say, well, see, no man can die for another man. So Yahushua, he couldn't have died for your sins. Well, it sounds good on the surface to those that haven't the discernment 
Surely this invalidates Yahushua's whole sacrifice. Not to me, but to somebody undiscerning and weaker in the faith. Or maybe somebody who is being tantalized and titillated by everything Jewish. It could appeal to them. But these verses are often um, quoted in tandem with Psalm 49 verse 7. To claim that one man cannot die for another man. And therefore the entire messianic concept of vicarious or substitutionary atonement is invalid, right? It's unscriptural, they say. A man is responsible for his own sins and another cannot assist him vicariously. And they'll quote Psalm 49 verse 7. A brother does not redeem. Shall a man redeem? He shall not give to Elohim a ransom for himself. Let's say, see, Yahushua can't die for another man. He couldn't die for another brother. And then they'll quote Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. The fathers shall, shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. And they'll say, see, Yahushua can't die for another man. This is Judaism's position on vicarious atonement. And it can be tempting to those who are being led into Judaism, which I've encountered many over the years coming out the Hebrew roots and messianic movement. And it sounds reasonable on the surface, Mr. Anti-Missionary, but in reality, since no man, listen, since no man can die for another man, it does say that in Scripture, or no brother can die for the sins of a brother, then that actually nullifies the false claim that Yahushua was not Yahuwah in the flesh. Because the Jews will say, well, it's impossible that Yahushua was, was Yahuwah in the flesh. Well, the Bible says that no mere man can die for another man. Yet we know vicarious atonement did come through Yahushua. So you have really validated that Yahushua was not just a mere man. He is, in fact, Yahuwah in the flesh. You've actually proven my point. Do you see how this can take flow. Because if he was not Yahuwah manifest in the flesh, but just a mere Jewish brother, he couldn't redeem anyone else, right? All these scripture verses actually prove, Psalm 49 verse 7, Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 16, all these scripture verses actually prove is that Yahushua was no mere man, but Yahuwah Come manifested in the flesh, which is my point exactly. Bear with me, because this is very important. Because there are teachers right now and people contacting this ministry concerned about Psalm 49 verse 7 and Deuteronomy 24 verse 16. And my audience, most of you have said, well, I know that Yahushua is the Messiah and that he died for my sins. But... If we can turn one sheep back from the edge, will you bear with me? Because there's one sheep right out there right now that needed to hear this message. In fact, I think there was more. And if we as a ministry can turn one back, then that's a good work, isn't it?
That's a good work. So bear with me because there are many that have contacted me, many about this. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 16 and Ezekiel, our text, chapter 18 verse 4, only talk of personal responsibility as part of the three-step process of forgiveness. How many steps are there in forgiveness, in the process of forgiveness? Three steps in the process of forgiveness. Now this doesn't negate the Messiah who is divine, dying for both a sinful human father and a sinful human son. After each takes personal responsibility. That's the key. I had to take personal responsibility for my sins. You have to take personal responsibility for your sins for us to truly embark on this amazing journey with the Messiah. Yahweh does not reject vicarious atonement. He does not reject vicarious atonement. What Yahweh rejects, Ezekiel 18.4, is the evil principle of collective guilt. That's the difference. Yahweh does not reject vicarious atonement. He rejects the evil pagan principle of collective guilt that was associated with the wrath of a demonic foreign god against their followers. Because back in the ancient times, if a follower supposedly upset the false deity then the false deity would take vengeance on all others who approached either him or her. Yahweh is saying, he's not like that. He's not like that whatsoever. And he will not use collective guilt judgment so that he can judge rightly. What an awesome Elohim that we have. And this brings me to my second point regarding these scriptures that many people have asked me over the years. Well, if, if Yahushua can die for the sins and he's Yahweh in the flesh, but is he human? Is he half human? Is he like a God-man? I mean, what, what, what brings me to the question of the composition of Messiah. What is the composition of Messiah? So let's touch on that because again, people can get led astray by these pagan concepts of a a half-human, half-God man. Well, he's 100% God and 100% man. Who's heard of that? Well, that's a mathematical impossibility, right? You can't be 100% one thing and 100% something else. You could be 98% one thing and 2% something else, right? But you can't be 100% God and 100% man. And if he's 50% God and 50% man, then he would be a what? A hybrid, which would violate the laws of Kiliaim, which are the laws of mixing. You shall not plow your field with two diverse species. You shall not wear a garment of mixed linen and cotton, Right? So that would violate Yahuwah's own laws if his son was a hybrid. And we're getting into that nowadays, aren't we, with all this crazy technology. Wool, excuse me, wool and linen. Wool and, wool and linen, thank you. So let's look at the composition of Messiah because, again, if we can turn one sheep back from the brink, it is worth it. So my question to you is, did Yahushua, 
inherit the kingdom of Elohim. Did he? Amen. Yes, he did. 1 Corinthians 15.50. Now we're looking at the composition of the Messiah. And I asked you a question. Did Yahushua inherit the kingdom of Elohim? And you all resoundingly loud in my ears said, yes. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Elohim. Whoa, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of Elohim. So did Yahushua have flesh? Did he? First John chapter 4 verse 2. By this shall you know the spirit of Yahuwah. Every spirit that confesses that Yahushua the Messiah has come in the flesh is from Yahuwah. And every spirit that does not confess that Yahushua the Messiah has come in the flesh is not from Yahuwah. And this is the spirit of the anti-Messiah which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Ah, but, but his flesh was not from the dust of the earth. There's the key. The scripture defines a human being as what? The scripture defines a human being as coming up from the dust of the earth. Yahushua does have flesh. Because to deny that he has flesh would mean that you're under the spirit of Antichrist. But what is the origins of Yahushua's flesh? Because flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of Elohim. But we've all said that yes, Yahushua shall inherit the kingdom of Elohim. Do you see the discrepancies here? But the scripture gives us clarification. Yahushua's flesh came from the heavens. He's the heavenly man. His flesh did not come from the dust. His flesh came from the heavens. So what we're actually dealing with here is called Christology or the composition of Christ. This was these the first 2 centuries of the faith. There were huge debates about the composition of Messiah. Was he a ghost? Did he just appear? Did he really resurrect? This is called Christology. Now we're going to be looking at this. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. And Yahweh Elohim formed man, humanity, of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Chai nefesh. But what about John chapter 6 verse 48? Yahushua says about his flesh, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and they are dead. This is the bread that comes, he's the bread of life. And where does the bread come from? The dust of the earth? Or does he say something else? This is the bread that comes down from the heavens that a man may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread who came down from the heaven. He didn't come from the dust of the earth. His flesh came from heaven. And the bread of life that I will give my flesh, he does have flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews, therefore, they argued among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because they didn't understand what I'm teaching you right now. They didn't understand. Then Yahushua said to them, Amen, ve, Amen. I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you shall have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I just mentioned earlier the laws of Kilayim, the laws of mixing. Yahweh is not going to violate his own word. You shall not plow your field with diverse seeds. You shall not wear wool and linen in one garment. It violates the laws of Kilayim. Yahweh is not going to bring his son as a God-human hybrid. It violates the very laws of his word. So what do we have here? This is amazing revelation. Yahushua's flesh has no dust nature. No dust nature. No evil inclination. Yahushua's flesh has no dust nature. No evil inclination. Because Yahushua is the Ma-Ya. The Ma-Ya. The man from Elohim. His flesh, his spirit, and his blood are from Yahuwah. He's not teaching cannibalism. If his flesh was from the dust in John chapter 6, he would have been teaching cannibalism. But his flesh, his spirit, and his blood are the heavenly man. He's teaching resurrection, reconciliation, with the Father. Romans chapter 8 verse 3. For what the Torah could not do, because it was powerless regarding man's weak, sinful flesh, Yahweh sending his own son, listen, in the likeness, ah, in the likeness of that same sinful flesh doesn't say the same composition, does it? It says, in the likeness of that same sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned man's sinful flesh by means of his own flesh. You see, there's a juxtaposition here between man's flesh and Yahweh's manifest son's flesh. There's a distinction and a difference here. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 45, Paul said, this is a sowed, this is a mystery that is being revealed. This is something that hasn't been taught for thousands of years because the church triumphant teaches Trinitarianism, which has actually has its origins in pagan history. We're teaching the scripture and the manna man. 
the Maya from the heavens. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45. And so it is written, The first man was made a living being, but the last Adam was made a life-giving Ruach. But the spiritual Adam was not first, but the natural Adam, and afterwards the spiritual one. The first man, this is literally Adam from Adam and Eve, the first man is of the earth, earthly, from the dust. The second man, who's the second man? Yahusha. The second man is the master Yahuwah from the heavens. His flesh, his blood, and his spirit are from the heavens. What is the Bible's, not, 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 not a scientist, not a biologist, because we're scripturalists. What is the Bible's definition of a human being? Flesh from the dust of the earth. So is Yahusha human? His flesh came from the heavens. And here it is. No, a human being, by definition, comes from the dust of the earth. But Yahushua's flesh came from the heavens. And it seems now that we have to bring clarification to the reality that Yahushua has no dual nature. No dual nature. Not what we were taught in the church. There's this dual nature, God and man. No. There's more revelation to come. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 48. And is the earthy, so also are those that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy one, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly one. Now this I say, my Israelite brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah. Neither does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I show you a sowed mystery. Some of you look so perplexed right now because this is the sowed mystery that Paul is trying to communicate. And now I will try and bring that into clarity for us because this can prevent a sheep from going off the edge and denying the Messiah and going into Judaism. So it's an important message. Yahushua has no dual nature. Because Yahuwah does not abide human sacrifice, does he? He does not abide human sacrifice. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 says that Yahushua came in the likeness of man. In the likeness of man. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Yahushua is the image of the invisible Elohim, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. He dwells fullness as deity in bodily form. Fullness of deity in bodily form. Philippians 3 verse 21, our lowly body, which is from the dust, shall be transformed into his 
glorious body. There's a juxtaposition there. His body is glorious because it was from the heavens. Our body is lowly because it is from the dust. Our hope is that our bodies will be transformed from a lowly body into a heavenly glorious body of the Master Yah's origin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, we're to desire to be clothed in our habitation from on heaven, which is a body made in heaven at the resurrection. Matthew chapter 16, verse 12, from heaven. Where are you from, Yahusha? From heaven. And he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You see? What about in Psalm 16, verse 10? What happened to Lazarus? How long was Lazarus in the grave? Four days. Rigor mortis would set in, right? Rigor mortis would set in. How long was Yahusha in the grave? Three days and three nights. If he had an earthly body from the dust, would his body have began to see decay and rigor mortis set in? Yes. But the Bible tells us that his body saw no decay and no rigor mortis set in. Psalm 16 verse 10. How is that so? In Acts 13 verse 36. Because his body was from the heavens and it saw no decay. But Lazarus's did. It beginneth to stinketh. To stinketh it did. You see? Yahusha, like we see of the Father in the Torah is anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic is a big word, a big fanciful word, which means that you're attributing human characteristics to something that is non-human. We do that to Yahweh all the time, right? He says that he hears, that he sees, that he has a right arm. We are anthropomorphically describing the Father. We have no problem doing that. But what about the son? But what about the son attributing human characteristics to something that is non-human, such as deity? We really have an anthropomorphic Yahusha because he is deity in bodily form. Psalm 49 verse 5, it is written, No man can redeem his brother. That's how we started out today. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that Yahusha has to be dust, human, to redeem mankind. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say that. That's classical Greek thought, straight from the Greek pantheon that then birthed into the Trinitarian doctrine. But Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it is written, El ish kazab ben adam nacham. Elohim is not a human being that he should lie or a mortal that he should change his mind. The issue is not composition of Yahuwah, but the character of Yahuwah as the true fulfiller of promises. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then was Yahusha led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be Tempted by Satan. 
Hang on a minute. But in John chapter 1 verse 13 it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by Yahweh. For Yahweh cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. Hang on a minute. Didn't we just say that Yahushua was 100% Yahweh? Well then, Yahweh can't be tempted. He was tested in the wilderness, not tempted. He was tested. Don't attribute the works of Satan to Yahuwah. Is Yahushua Yahuwah in the flesh? Well, then he wasn't tempted. He was tested. Exodus chapter 24, verse 11. Yahushua is, in fact, the bone, the etzim. In the Hebrew, it's spelled ayin, zadi, mem, sofi. Yahushua is the very bone from heaven that appeared all the way back in Exodus chapter 24, verse 11, as the bone of heaven at the confirmation meal of the covenant. This is amazing. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 23, Yahushua, we see, was not established in human flesh. He was established from everlasting before there was even dust on the earth, from everlasting. Yahushua, here's the reality. Yahushua is 100% Yahweh, 0% man, cloaked in humanity, yet not from humanity's origins, the dust. Yahushua is 100% Yahweh, 0% man, cloaked in the likeness of humanity, yet not from humanity's origins, the dust. He is, in fact, the heavenly man. He is the flesh and bone from heaven, which enables him to transfigure our flesh and set us down at the Malkitzedic confirmation meal, the wedding supper of the Lamb, so that we can eat his flesh and drink his blood, the bone of heaven, just as they ate and drank of the bone of heaven in Exodus 24, verse 11, when the 70 elders went up. We're going to do the same thing. This is the blood ratification, wedding supper of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. In your own time, read John chapter 6. It will open up your eyes to the composition of Messiah, specifically John 6 verse 41 and John 6 verse 58. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, this is the unsearchable riches that Paul was proclaiming amongst the nations. These are amazing things. But we have to, like the prophet Ezekiel says, we have to overcome the sins of our fathers. Many of these doctrines and these teachings are the sins of the church fathers that have come down through the generations. And I'll finish up with this because this is another one that many of us stumble and fall on, another doctrine of the church fathers. Yahushua was born of a virgin. I believe that. I believe in the virgin birth. Who here, with a show of hands, believes in the virgin birth? Show of hands? Okay, we've got everybody their hands up. Okay, with a show of hands here, who here believes in the immaculate conception? Show of hands? 
Oh, none of you fell for it. Oh, you guys are good. I've done this before, and people are like, oh, oh no. <laughs> the Immaculate Conception Doctrine, many fall for that. This is the Immaculate Conception Doctrine. Listen, Mary was born without sin. Her mother was Saint Anne. Mary's flesh was without sin. Therefore, Christ is fully human from Mary, who remained an eternal virgin. What a bunch of twaddle, right? That is Catholic twaddle at its best, right? But that's the immaculate conception. We don't believe that. But here's a medical fact for you. Very interesting. You mothers will know this. The blood to the baby in the womb doesn't come from the mother. The blood from the baby in the womb doesn't come from the mother. Therefore, where did Yahusha's blood come from? It didn't come from Mary, did it? No. Joseph was not his paternal father. It didn't come from Joseph, did it? So Yahusha, his blood didn't come from the dust, did it? His flesh didn't come from the dust. His flesh came from the heavens. And his blood, which didn't come from the mother, came from the heavenly father. This is amazing stuff, isn't it? Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of Elohim. But Yahushua inherited the kingdom of Elohim because his flesh and his blood came from the father in heavens of lights above. Amazing revelation. We need to exchange these earthly, fleshly garments with the master's heavenly garments, but it will only happen after the resurrection. That's our hope and that is our promise to those of us that are in Messiah. We await on the Messiah who's always been clothed with Yahweh's bone and flesh from the heaven. Exodus 24 verse 11. The Son of Man. Remember the first reference to the Son of Man? Daniel was the first one to reference the Son of Man, meaning deity. The Son of Man deity was placed in the womb of Miriam, the surrogate mother. He had the features or the likeness of humanity, yet not from humanity's origins, the dust. There is no dual nature. There is no tri-natured God-man. Jews know this from the Torah, and then they spin it, regurgitate it, and lead many of you astray. This is a sowed revelation to the fullness of Yahusha. He is 100% Yahweh, 0% man, cloaked in humanity, yet not from humanity's origins. Therefore, vicarious atonement, he can die for your sins, and you have the promise of resurrection as he raised from the dead. Because mortal flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible says, no man can redeem his brother. But Yahushua is not a mere man. He is Yahweh manifest in the heavenly flesh here upon earth in the likeness of his brother, but not from the iniquitous origins of mankind. Wow. Now my faith is even stronger. I shall not be shaken when I hear the, the JWs at the door. No. 
I shall not be shaken when the next time I try to get mowed down by a Mormon on a bicycle. I shall not be shaken. See? See? This strengthens us. Strengthens us. In fact, you can see the progression of the sins of the fathers. Let's begin in 100 of the common era. Look at the progression of the sins of the fathers. And this whole teaching is... Don't let the sins of your fathers, whether it's your earthly fathers or the church fathers, affect you. You be a Josiah in your generation and stand and finish well. But look at the Apostles' Creed in 100 of the Common Era. So it's not that far after Yahushua died, went into the grave and rose again. But in the Apostles' Creed, there is no dual nature. No dual nature had crept into the Apostles' Creed. No God-man doctrine had creeped in at this point, because it was only a hundred years after, well, a hundred of the common era. But by the time the Nicene Creed came along in 325 of the common era, we see some of that dual nature leaven had set in, started to leaven the lump, and it said that he was made man. Didn't say that in the Apostles' Creed. But by the Nicene Creed, they, they, they snuck in that he was made man. And then, by the time you get to the 500 of the Common Era, and you get to the Anthesanian Creed, you have dual nature leaven had fully leavened the whole lump. And it goes on to say that he was made in the substance of his mother. So there's a progression of the sins of the father that creep in the traditions of the fathers. But we must be the Josiahs within our generation. Let me finish up now. Back in our text, Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. So I digressed. I went down a rabbi trail. But the purpose of that is because if there is one sheep out there that could hear that message and be turned back from the precipice, that maybe you were tempted to go into Judaism and deny the Messiah. Maybe you were tempted to listen to, no man can redeem his brother. Now you understand the composition of Messiah. And the composition of Messiah is the hope of the resurrection. That he can transfigure us just as he transfigured himself. Because our hope is to be with the bone from heaven. Moreover, Ezekiel 19.1, take up lamentation for the leaders of Israel and say, what a lioness was your mother. She lay down among lions. She nourished her cubs among young lions. So after prophesying about the downfall of Zedekiah, Ezekiel here begins his lamentation. And he laments the tragedy about the sons of Josiah that come into view here. Oh, those wicked sons of Josiah. You see, the Davidic dynasty under David and Solomon was likened unto what? A powerful lion. A grapevine Yahweh planted in Israel. And that Davidic din- dynasty, it what? flourished but then it withered and it has now been destroyed the sons lost their grandeur the grandeur of their mother jerusalem of course the mother now has a inglorious state what happened to her glorious state they went into iniquity 
And she brought up one of her cubs, and it became a young lion, and it learned to catch the prey, and it devoured men. This, of course, is speaking of Jehoazaz, the son of Josiah. He stole from the people, and he had no aversion to killing his fellow Jews. He was just like a brute beast, and he got a taste for that blood, just like an animal would. And he got a taste for the treachery that would come with it. The nations also heard of him, verse 4. He was taken in their pit, and they brought him with chains to the land of Mitzrayim, Egypt. What happened? Well, he got overconfident. He got overconfident of his power, and he foolishly invaded Egypt, only to be taken prisoner, and he died there. Verse 5. Now, when she saw that she had waited and her hope was lost... Then she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. And he went up and down among the lions. He became a young lion and learned to catch the prey. And he devoured men. You see, Jerusalem took the other sons of Josiah and hoped they could regain the glory of their father whilst working iniquity instead of righteousness. It could never happen that way. Verse 7 and 8 speaks of Jehoiakim. You can correspond and look at that in Jeremiah 22, verse 17. And then verse 9 goes into Jehoiachin and Zedekiah and their downfall. And this is progressive destruction. Josiah was righteous, but the sons, they won't follow in the righteous path of the father. And then finally, Jehoiachin's mother, who accompanied him into Babylon, chains, exile, and slavery, Ultimately, in all of this, as you and I journey in this pilgrimage called life, we cannot let the sins of our fathers guide our paths. We have to be the Josiah generation. We have to be. Overcome. Overcome that which would try and hinder you. Don't look to the left or look to the right. Follow Yahusha all the way into resurrection and glory. And express love to others and feel the Father's love in your life. Because ultimately the Father's love can turn us all, can turn us all back. It's so heavy, the Father's love right now. I feel the Father's love so heavy in my life right now as I go through testings and as I prepare for this next season of blessing. I feel his love accompanying me as we drove here today. We are just feeling the Father's love that he is with us. Let's not fall into the darkness of the sons of Josiah. Don't fall into a corrupted state, into a corrupted thought life. Brethren, now is the time. To embrace the Father's love. Embrace the goodness. The goodness of his mercy and the power of his might. That he decides to act. To overthrow all obstacles in our life. And deliver us mightily. He does that. What an awesome Elohim of hope. And of encouragement. In this generation. But we sometimes we have to go back. So that we can go forward. Go back to those areas of hurt. And get them healed. So that you can go forward and do mighty things. I have to go back. To the origins of this ministry. So that we can go forward. 
in the calling that we've been called to and not be distracted by the clobber to the left and the clobber to the right that try to pull us in all different directions, but to go back so that we can truly go forward. That's what Yahweh has for all of his people. Now is the time. Embrace it because there is a multitude to be harvested. And if we turn one back from a road of error today, then that was a good work today, was it not? Praise Yahuwah. Stick around for fellowship. Bless one another. Let's pray and um, pray for one another. Thank you so much. What a beautiful, beautiful Shabbat and Shabbat Shalom.